red is a monster in Daisy. I'm like, all right, red, we got to we got to do something about this. So I'm loading my silenced pistol. Red pulls out this like weird, tiny James Bond golden eye gun and goes, all right, I'll be right back. <gasps> and just ran into the firefight. State of Survival Podcast, bringing you survival game news. Oh, hello, survivors, and welcome in. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a really exciting subject that I'm super, super thrilled about. But in case this is your first time here listening to the podcast, we are the State of Survival. We're a bunch of survival game enthusiasts that cover everything from modding to world design, even to news and upcoming titles that we're Again, super excited about. Uh, let's go ahead around the table and check with the rest of our team. How's it going, Red? It is going just fine. I started a new job this week in real life, so I'm very tired. Oh, no. Good job, that though? That is all. Yeah, it's a good job. It? There you go. It, it's a target-rich environment for me to come in and fix things. Oh. See, Dump, you can get a job as a modder. Anyway. <laughs> no, but I'm super excited for you, man. Uh, I remember when I started my first job, it took me like a month to reacclimate to the schedule. It Ugh. was brutal. Nope, Dump, how's it going? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. I was able to do my first VR stream yesterday. <laughs> I was dying, bro. Oh my gosh. Folks, it was so freaking funny. So I was playing a Dark Souls kind of wannabe VR game, right? I call it wannabe because I don't really know the full extent of it. But I was going down this, like a small town area, right? And I got shot by an arrow. It was so quick, I didn't even see it. But I, I blocked a secondary arrow shot at me. And I started backing up, and these two guys, literally one of them looked like he was hugging his bro coming drunk out of a bar, come at me. And I'm all like, uh-oh, uh, it's an ambush. And I start kind of like backing up because I'm trying to still block the arrows because, you know, VR, you can move your hands around. And I have a hammer, a blacksmith's hammer I just picked up. And I go to town on these guys once I realize that I'm running out of places to run away from them from. So as I'm fighting them, I drop my shield, and I don't realize I drop my shield until they're both going in for a swing on me, and I just step barely out of the way. And then I realize my shield's over there, and I literally point with my hammer and go, that's my shield. And then I chuck the hammer at them <laughs> and pull my sword. It was such a funny, funny experience, but man, it whooped my butt because it cost me all of my real life stamina. Like about half an hour into playing it, I'm like, I need to sit down and do this. And I'm just standing. I don't know how it's doing that, but it is. And uh, <laughs> I just, it just had so much fun. In Your commentary news, in that whole piece was so good. And you could tell that you've had some experience with the SEA because you were so good. When, first off, I've seen people when they block in games and they're like, heh, you were actually following through with the deflection and you were owning one skeleton with one weapon going, no, no, to his friend. And then you dropped everything and you're like, um, time out, guys. 
Well, it got so bad that I literally was like trying to kite them and I realized that they hit me and I was literally about to die. And I'm like, you know what? No balls, no glory. And I literally just start blocking them with my sword and I just scream at the top of my lungs, I don't need no shield! That's awesome. Thanks for going, Ham. I tell you what, folks. At the end of that entire fight, I literally just see my character put his hands down. I literally was over my knees trying to catch my breath because I was just that involved in that fight. Oh my gosh. And now I'm out of breath again. Wow. Thank you, y'all. <laughs> um, but as you folks may have seen in my modding world, I have been pushing some updates to some of my mods. I pushed my leather crafting mask update, which was glorious the other week, but I did have to make some tweaks to the drying rack. I am very pleased and happy to say that drying rack is no longer fooled with bugs. If you guys find bugs, give me a week before you report it to me, because I hate that drying rack right now. Um, the second, I also updated and fixed some bugs with my Miller Team forging, which was fixing the smelter not being able to make brass out of clay crucibles or iron crucibles. It was a check I forgot to put inside of my if statements. I do apologize. But other than that, folks, I have been doing good. I did see a psychiatrist this week, and things are looking a little bit better, or I'm still pursuing my mental health. So thank you guys for asking for those who have done so. But that's about it for me, Jarl. What about you? Well, tomorrow we were going to do Death of the Deities, which is our Dungeons & Dragons campaign, but it's so close to the end of the game, I had to take a hiatus from it because it's convention week for several of our members. So tomorrow we're going to be doing something else. I'll pull it out of my hat and figure it out. On Thursday, we're going to have our podcast stream. Keep in touch with our Twitter to find out what game we're going to be playing or even join our Discord. And on Friday, we'll be doing the Fallout 4 chat versus streamer 942 mod death run that we've been doing, which has been very punishing. And then on Saturday, we're live with the Fallout 2D20 tabletop RPG at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern. Be there, be square. We'll see you then. But that moves us on to our current topic which is something I have been foaming at the mouth for, and that is a game called Enshrouded. Enshrouded, uh, although had been mentioned in the background, they released official game footage as well as trailers as late as the end of June and early July. And it just caught everybody by surprise because it was announced after the other games have announced. Uh, it's kind of like Minecraft or Space Engineers in the way that it uses voxel design. The visuals are very similar to Valheim, and there's a really intricate boss system, which kind of hails back to Dark Souls. Basically, your character wakes up as one of the chosen referred to as the Flameborn. Your ancestors have put you to sleep and were supposed to have built a civilization during your rest. Yet when you wake, see your ancestors have failed you, and you must start from scratch. So it's going to be exciting. But for now, let's go ahead and talk about the live stream we did last week. We got to join an experimental server and we got to try out Daisy's 1.22 patch, which I gotta say is amazing. Uh, we were once again joined by Dimension 119, but how did the new additions affect you in the fresh spawn experience, Dump? Um. Honestly, I didn't find any of the new backpacks. I had to craft one, though, and being oh, able no. to take the dry stack, which, honestly, as a Daisy player, for as long as I've been playing, the dry stack has only been good for one thing, and it is small early game stashes. 
The fact that mm -hmm. I can take this thing and actually make it into a portable uh, backpack, you know, on my back, and it, in fact, it fits, it fits on my side quite nicely, uh, was pretty cool. I do want to test if the side pouches and side backpacks actually have their fire hitbox exactly where they are, or if it's still on the back and can get easily ruined for me and shot on the back. I think we should do that on Thursday. I would love to get a side bag and just get shot in the back by you guys and see how much a backpack versus the side pouch. I know it probably won't reduce damage, but how badly does the things inside get damaged when you shoot it? I'd love to test that out. Now, you said something there that's very important. You said we shoot you. Don't you mean we shoot red? Well, listen, I've I've been changing <laughs> a new leaf. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> you know what? We'll talk about Red's demise later. <laughs> this isn't about where he died. This is how he lived. <laughs> no, but it was oh, awesome. It's awake. It's awake, exactly. <laughs> it was awesome, though, because you, Dimension, and Red spawned relatively close to each other in the Chernogorsk uh, area. Yeah. We were able to find each other pretty quickly. And then... Uh, we were able to survive. I think we were having problems with our thirst level. Uh, I think actually we found Dimension pretty early on too, didn't we? Yeah, you guys all found each other before, because I had spawned all the way to the east in Kamishovo, and I'm just sitting there running. <laughs> that was that was the extent of the first 35 minutes of my stream. <laughs> yeah. We did end up finding out, though, why you were struggling with the water. There was actually a murderer in uh, Prigorodki, which is to the east of Chernogorsk. Or uh, Chernaris. Chernogorsk. Chernogorsk. My brain's dead. But uh, it, uh, that place was pretty heavily looted. Like, it got to the point yeah, to where I was, was eating rotten apples. <laughs> well, wait, we were getting desperate because... You know, the the people who were murdering people uh, took out one of us, uh, or two of us, actually, and we were just trying our hardest to kind of get around. Unfortunately, I think we fell victim to one of the oldest and most saddest parts of Daisy: fully geared people hunting Bambies. Yeah, and the guy with the cowboy hat, I mean, I wouldn't say he was fully geared, but he was definitely murdering as many people as he could. Didn't help that Dimension was standing in an open field to swap his inventory around. Uh, and I was like, come on, Dimension, let's let's get to the pump. And he's like, OK, let's go. He takes two steps towards the pump when blam, he just gets murdered by the same guy. Uh, and then Red is a monster in Daisy. I'm like, all right, Red, we got to We got to do something about this. So I'm loading my silenced pistol. Red pulls out this like weird tiny James Bond golden eye gun and goes, all right, I'll be right back <laughs> and just ran into the firefight. Oh, man, it was Actually, an absolute I remember that firefight. I remember that because Red pulled out his IJ-70 and ran out. And I can hear in the background of your comms, Red shooting the gun. And then you hear over comms going, Red saying over comms, well, that's not good. <laughs> and he tells us later his gun jammed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then finally, I'm like... That's right. I went running headlong into a firefight with a an IJ with four rounds that was badly damaged. 
and and even worse, the guy had had attracted a bunch of infected, so there was like six infected around him. And instead of just taking a couple of shots and then backing off and letting him kind of slowly bleed out or get beat up, I just ran headlong in, shot him once, weapon jammed, and that was where I looked around and went, well, now I'm surrounded by Zeds, my weapon's jammed, that's not good. And uh, I don't even think the guy, I don't even think he killed me. I think uh, I just got mobbed and KO'd and then that was all she wrote. Yeah. I will say during that firefight, I got to test the new silencer sounds. Nice. They're really good. They're not quiet, as quiet as they were before. Before it was like, beep, 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 you know, players would have a hard time. It sounded more like a muffled bang, which I really enjoyed. Like you heard the pat, pat, pat. So I, I really do approve of the way that they've changed the silencer, because if you ever see a movie where they go, beep, beep, that is fake. They those don't do that. They still make loud noise. So it was nice. Uh, the infected didn't seem to change their behavior towards noise at all. Um, but he definitely heard me shooting at him and he ran. And then I'm waiting for everybody to regroup and come to my position. And I see him, the man with the cowboy hat, standing right above Dimension's corpse. I'm like, oh, you've returned to the scene of the crime, have you? Lowered my silenced pistol and went, took two shots into him. Ran out of ammo thinking, oh, please, God, don't turn towards me. And then Dump's like, I'm taking fire. I'm taking fire. <laughs> Dump was the one who told us he was wearing that hat. Why would Dump wear that hat? <laughs> I, just, I don't know. In my defense, I had died, respawned, and ran back. <laughs> I just looted what was on my corpse because I was definitely not saved from the... <laughs> the carnage but uh yeah i definitely felt two short heard two shots i'm not sure if i got hit but i definitely was all like oh god get shot at. oh you definitely got hit because you had to bandage afterwards but it was just the stupid little pistol silencer silence weapon but i'll tell you what i actually got to have crossbow play in this episode too i've been waiting to get my hands on that and that was insane i was like the terminator I mean, we were only fighting infected at the time, but I was like, got to a point to where Dump had one coming behind him. I'm like, you can just call me Daryl Dixon. Hattie. Oh, man. And we ended that entire live uh, session with uh, Dimension running towards us and a guy running up on him and telling him to stand still so he could kill Dimension. And Jarl and me were close enough. We were able to run over and try to engage the guy. The guy buckshot Jarl to the face. But without, but Jarl got one or two crossbows into him, which was actually quite amazing because those crossbows do a lot of damage. So I'm surprised he was still standing. Well, they were the, uh, they were just there. the sticks. <clears throat> they were oh, just yeah. the sticks. You stuck I it didn't to put feathers on Wait them. Wait a minute. Um, oh. <laughs> I was able to follow him into the one of the double uh, sliding door barns. And while he was had his back turned to the entrance, rookie move, by the way, I uh, finished him off with a bolt to the back. And that I was bleeding out. I think one of his friends came in to try to loot his body. And I had him held up. And I'm just like, you know what? It's okay. And I just laid down and died so he can take everything. I <laughs> will was, say there was, was a, there was an aggravating part of that. I found a hunting backpack. And right next to it, I found a body. 
And I'm like, okay, great. We've got this going on. I grab the hunting backpack and I run six miles with this hunting backpack in my hand. And then Dumb's like, I'm dead. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I look around, I see this person running by and I'm like, congratulations, you've just won a game show, a backpack full of supplies, including this axe. And the girl's like, that's my favorite axe. Thank you. What condition is it in? I'm like, you know what? I'll throw in a sharpening tool at the same time. She's like, thanks. She didn't make it. We ended up finding uh... her dead later on. But anyway, it's great fun. Let's go ahead and move on to our hot takes. You'll see us on Thursday, probably playing more DayZ 1.2. So let's do it. All right. Let's start with Red. Red, do you have any hot takes for us today? Actually... In my uh, tradition of not just going with a straightforward and highly relevant to the game we're talking about hot take, I wanted to talk about gamer tags and the origins behind the gamer tags. You know, everybody's got their funny little names. Some of them are just silly. Some of them have deep relevance. So I thought that uh, maybe we could share where we got our name or gamer tags from. And and I'll start. Um, Actually, Red Falcon hails back to when I was in the military, way back in the dinosaur days. Um, and I was in uh, 1st Battalion, 325th Airborne Infantry Regiment, which is the Red Falcon Battalion, part of the Falcon Brigade. And so after I got out, that was such a, uh, I think, formative time in my life that I started carrying forward that moniker. And then when I got into gaming, uh, seriously, that's that's really what I what I went by, and it just stuck. Uh, got a question for you, Red. Uh, I'm gonna kind of team up with 330T on this. Uh, so when you were riding your pterodactyl into battle, did you use muskets? Uh, we actually did not have gunpowder. Um, mm -hmm. So what we did was take a pointed stick and yell "bang." Oh, you know that's an effective strategy. Always works. Uh, my, my gamer tag has less of a, uh, uh, honorable background. Uh, I'm Irish and I've got Scottish on my family and you know, the joke, uh, Scotland where the men are men and the sheep are scared. Uh, so my original gamer tag was goat fornicator. Uh, and then I changed it so that I wouldn't get canceled on YouTube or Twitch. So now it's the girl of goats. <laughs> it's a good change. It's a good change. What about you, Dump? It, it rolls off the tongue a lot better. It, it does, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I got my name back when I used to participate in the SCA, which is the Society for Creative Acronisms. And it's a joke name, honestly. We used to dress up in medieval armor and hit each other with heavy wooden sticks and drink beer after we did it. Um, but um, I had a lot of fun in this situation, and I actually became and was trained to be a farrier and a blacksmith. Yes, folks, I can actually shoe horses for a living, and I can actually make most really cool decorative and everything else. Swords and knives, not really. Armor? I can make armor. But one of the things that designated me as Dumpra, which actually is from Lord of the Rings orc black speech, is it means hammer hand. And I earned this name. Because I had a person making fun of my armor because I was too young to participate in the SCA battles, but I was still part of a group. And I was, um, he was telling me my armor was bad because I had forged him. I was like 14 years old, forging my own 
folks. It didn't look very pretty. And I told him his armor was weak compared to mine. So we t we took a bet. He got to punch me in my armor as hard as he could. And I got to punch him, uh, punch him in his armor as hard as I could. Straight in the chest. Well, he didn't dent mine. I collapsed his into his chest. And from then on, I was called Hammerhand or Dump Graw in the Orcish Black speech. Did, did you that's say? I my name. Did you say Hammerhand? I thought you said Hammerhead. That, that made a lot more sense yeah. to me. <laughs> I have a hammer. <laughs> I, a hammer hand. Okay, you sure not hammer hand. like, all right, you ready to <laughs> do this? Let's go. <laughs> Just headbutts the armor. Uh, I do uh, make a joke a lot, folks, that I bash my head through brick walls a lot when it comes to modding. So, haha, yara, red, haha. <laughs> well, my hot okay. take isn't necessarily game related, but it is theme related because as I've been analyzing these titles that are coming out in 2023 and 2024, I'm noticing something that doesn't happen to us too often. A lot of the times when survival comes out, it's a bunch of PVE games or one year it's a bunch of PVP games and there's kind of a healthy mix. But while I was studying, it seemed to be that the communities around are kind of poo pooing on games that don't have good pvp and i want to be the first to state that survival although i agree is not the same without pvp it doesn't mean that pve survival games are any less fun you know i will always have my pvp game i play for me it's daisy in my pocket but i don't know what do you guys think do you guys think that pve survival games can be fun yeah definitely absolutely i mean if you think about it if you took away Daisy's PvP, it's still a survival game. You're just surviving the elements, the AI, the starvation, the hunger. You're surviving constantly. Now, if you took away all the survival, Daisy would be nothing more than a PvP game. Like, pure PvP. It wouldn't be anything else. It would be pure PvP. We yep. know what that's like. It's <clears throat> not a good experience. <laughs> no grass, big guns, and quick death. Yeah, sniper guy, Call of Duty, but Daisy, it's great. Uh, well, that's all I've got for this week. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to um, our next topic. I want to explain how guns and sounds and infected all work together. There's been a little bit of a misconception I've heard from a couple people live on stream, and they don't understand how the new gun sound systems work back when they changed it back in 1.10. Gun sounds now are able to draw infected based upon the distance you are from the infected. So when a bullet or a object hits something near an infected from a certain distance from a player, the infected will go after the location the bullet hit. Now, if you shoot, let's say a Mosin, and let's say that area, that sound area has a hundred meters, if it's louder than the area the bullet hits, the infected will go after you. This was done back in 1.10 because what was happening back before 1.10 was that they were always going after the shooter. So anytime someone shot from a concealed sniping point, you knew exactly where, where they were based off the infected going at, after that location. I wanted to bring this up because some people didn't understand or didn't know, was it the location that the bullet hit or was it the location that the player was? It's based upon the distance you are from the infected. So when you're shooting a pistol, and you shoot one in the back of the head, one of the infected, and there's three other infected around you, they're going to hear you. It doesn't matter if you have a silencer or not. That's why crossbows are such a good thing for that. So remember, keep your distance and place your shots well, because the infected might come after you later. 
Yeah, and in fact, the devs, when they were demoing crossbows, were using the normal wooden bolts to shoot at the scenery to clear the road of infected. So good job. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, talk about our main topic, Enshrouded. <laughs> so, Enshrouded has already established kind of a unique setting to survival games. You awaken a pod of an ancient civilization that the ancestors placed you in for kind of a stasis or a long sleep. Now, this game doesn't have a very strong tutorial. You're kind of just meant to go out and explore it. But the idea is that you're kind of a chosen one, the flameborn. Uh, as you head outside your world, you behold, a, or your cave, you behold a beautiful world. However, there's no civilization awaiting you. It's all dead. Down beneath the depths of the world is a pestilence called the Shroud. Supposedly, that's what happened to your ancestors. So I do have a question on this before we start, Dumb. With new survival games, do you prefer a lengthy tutorial system or kind of a hand-free without much guidance from the devs? Um, you know, honestly, it, it, this, is such a, this is such a hard question to answer because there can be so many factors in this, but let's just go with this plain and simple. I actually like a more hands-free situation. And the reason why I say that is because most survival games nowadays know how to make mechanics good enough that you almost already know how to play most survival games. Most survival games, you know, I is inventory, tab is inventory, you know, you know, C is crouch, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, there are some finer mechanics, but Valheim is a good example of helping people be free to do whatever they want. There's a little crow that pops up, you know that, Yarl, that tells you, or Raven, actually, my apologies, uh, that tells you how to do things, but you can ignore the goddamn thing. You can attack it and it goes away. Um, and you don't have to listen to it. And I find that kind of stuff to be cool. I think lengthy tutorial systems are a thing of the past because we don't have as much, as much as I hate to say this for the older games because I love them, jank. It's not so right. difficult to learn because you're not constantly struggling with the controls and learning how to actually use the graphics and the mouse all at the same time. Because I hate to say it, folks, but WASD is like probably only like 15 to like 20 years as a standard old. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you 100%. Although I do have to disagree with you about Valheim because that little bird reminds me of Clippy from Microsoft Office. It is always popping up, always telling you, you could attack it all you. It still shows up. This game seems like it's going to be more like DayZ. You play the game, maybe some subtle hints or tips, build a base. It's not going to hold your hand for everything. And I kind of like that. So let's start off with the most important aspects. Whenever you're in any kind of survival situation, you need to secure water, shelter, and food. Those are the three tiers to thriving. So let's talk about food and water. Food and drinks do not work like they do in a standard survival game in this. You're not going to die of starvation. You're not going to die of dehydration. And you're not going to get sick if you don't nurture those. Uh, with most valuable resources on the map, especially weapons and items being in the shroud, you're going to have to fight your way to earn a lot of the materials you're going to need. And the way that the game balances it out is if you don't eat, drink, or sleep before you go into battle, you're going to be heavily weakened. So you get buffs, much like Valheim, when you eat or drink. Um, is that something that would interest you? 
I played Valheim, if, and if this is kind of the same situation, is it completely disabling the fact that you can starve or die of thirst? Or is it like, it takes forever for you to die of uh, food and it, water? It completely disables it. It Basically, they wanted a game that was for the hardcore player and the casual player. So if all you want to do is build, like in Minecraft, that's all you want to do, uh, it gives those players the option to do that because they don't have to worry about their stats as much. Now, that is an interesting thing, and honestly, I would have to say, I don't like it. See, one of the things about food and water is it's not just about keeping your fires healthy, it's also about keeping your crafters and your resource gatherers happy. And then, like you said, builders. If I'm building all the time for my group, uh, which this looks like this game has up to uh, 12 or 16 people, and I never have to worry about food, and I never have to worry about combat, I'm not one of the um, resource drains on our team. Our team doesn't have to worry about feeding me. Well, that's the beautiful thing about this game. Would you like to carry two stones at a time or 30 stones at a time? Eh, 30. That takes stamina. Same with jumping up to places to finish your build. And if you want the stamina to be able to do all of that, you will have to eat and drink to make sure that's up. But you're not going to die if you're just doing light work. So in a way, if you're farming, you don't have to worry about it too much. You could just skip eating. But if you're on a fourth story of a giant tower you're building, you should probably eat and drink because you're going to be carrying a lot of supplies from the bottom to the top. So it's it kind of makes it helpful, but not necessary for builders. But I'm with I, you. I, I can I'm, get behind that. I, I, I would rather die of dehydration and disease. <laughs> it's such an important aspect of survival. There's always got to be somebody boiling water round the clock. Uh, and I just feel like this system might take that, but not in a bad way. Because if you want to get any progress, like real progress done, if you want to go mining for ore, you're going to need to have a full belly to do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's definitely a interesting take on it. I won't say that it's good or bad until I actually get to experience it. Yeah, and that's kind of what it's all about because the next important thing for survival is shelter. And oh boy, does the shelter in this game... Oh, hang on. I messed up my scripting document. <laughs> there we go. Uh, the shelter in this game really kind of knocks it out of the park. Uh, one of the things that I think is very important about Enshrouded that I feel games like even Minecraft kind of miss the mark on. Minecraft definitely has terraforming, but it's by meter by meter blocks. So for those of us in America, that's 3.3 feet by 3.3 feet. Um, terraforming, I want it to be a little more minute, a little more detailed. I want to be able to make the place look how I want, and I want it to match the scenery. And the beautiful thing about this is you can start sculpting down to like six inch by six inch blocks and really carve the scenery out to look like how you want it. Um, and there's really cool time-lapse videos that you can see on Enshrouded where they've completely made this really cool canyon style cliffside base. And it doesn't just look like squares. They were able to round the rocks and add texture to them and, and make it look like it was there originally, which is really neat. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. I've seen some other games try to do this kind of situation. Actually, one of them I talked about the other week called Life is Futile. They did an okay job on it. You were in full control of everything, 
but you were able to create some interesting terrains without it being super blocky like Minecraft, like Carol said. So I've seen the videos you talked about, the time lapses and how they destroy the terrain. And one of the things I like about this is in other terrain game destroying games I've seen, you use a pickaxe and you get like this really rough, jagged looking area and you can't really smooth it out. They actually provide what looks like uh, the cubes like you're talking about, but you can actually create them quite big to create really flat areas. It's a lot, like you said, easier to control how you terraform the terrain to your liking. And I love that effect. Yeah, and one of the videos I saw, they had a blue pickaxe that had a bigger area, which was also really cool. And you can effectively worm your way through the terrain, clear it out any way you want. Um, and it's just such a good system that I'm really super excited for it. Uh, but it is voxel-based, so if you've played, think about Minecraft and think about Space Engineers and kind of meet halfway, and that's what this game is looking like it's going to behave as. Um, but, of course, with any game, you know, if you want to make something beautiful and detailed in Minecraft, it takes quite a lot of creativity on your part, using stairs and creative ways. But the building detail on this game... My God, it's so good. I've seen cities look like uh, an Italian villa. Um, but I think where that wins its success is that you don't just build a wall with a window in it. You build a stone wall. And then those of you who are watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see that little square. You can carve arrow slits instead of normal windows. Or you can make big grand windows if you would prefer to have your... Uh, castle look kind of like uh, the Red Keep in Game of Thrones, where there's walkways and arches. They even have arches that once you carve out the basic hole, you could choose a design for your archway. And it's all really, really well done. Allows you to get in there and just carve out those tiny little details. You could even spell dump grow on one of the walls, and that's your window. Dump grow. Dump grow. Hammer fist. Uh, that's fort. Actually, that's a that's a kick-ass name for a fort. Have you guys been to Fort Hammersmith yet? <laughs> <laughs> Hammerhead. But I do like the I do like that chiseling aspect, and uh, it's nice because I know some of us who enjoy making our bases look cool. We want that little control on the detail. Yeah, I definitely agree. Detail is. One of the things that I think, as a person who enjoys base building in almost any kind of game, is the actual, like you all said, attention to detail. In Sons of the Forest, I love the fact that I can cut the blocks in half all the way down to a quarter. I love the fact that I can make spikes, traps. I can do all these cool things. And while a little bit limiting, they are really good. One example, like, y'all keep talking about Minecraft. Minecraft and this other game called... Um, our good friend, Danger, uh, Adoy, Vintage Story. Uh, Vintage Story. Well, Minecraft has a mod that allows you to place voxel by voxel, and Vintage Story has it built into the vanilla game. These are beautiful and amazing tools to make your entire bases look incredibly awesome. You know, flowing lines of mana, all that kind of cool stuff. But they can also be incredibly useful because one of the updates to, uh, or one of the things in uh venture story is you can actually make uh liquid channels out of just tear mm -hmm. um pulling up the pixels so there's a lot of cool things that can be done with it and in this game it looks like there's a lot of cool possibilities that are going to be coming up soon and i have to say yara one of the coolest things about base building voxel based 
situations like this is how the walls almost mesh perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's no hard lines. Yeah, it's it's really, really beautifully done. Uh, and I cannot wait to see more. Um, and, and now we're going to get into how they're built, because I think this is pretty genius. So before you get started on your massive cities, you have to build a flame altar. And the flame altar in itself, when you get the first model, you can only build 25 meters by 25 meters. So we're talking, since a meter is roughly three feet, we're talking about 75 feet by 75 feet. You can upgrade that flame altar to get more build space. Now, this does not mean that you can't build outside of it. That's your safe area. So when I first started researching this, I thought, oh, your bases can't be attacked by monsters. The bases within the flame altar can't be attacked by monsters, but wandering threats like wolves and such can still get into your camp and destroy you. So you can build outside of it, but you're not protected. You're not safe. So it gives you time to upgrade that. And you upgrade it by collecting things called sparks, which are found not only in the above world, but a lot of them are found in the shroud itself. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. I'm not sure. Uh, did we know, like, if the uh, flame altars actually require resources to upkeep? Do they have plans for that? Or is it going to be once you build it, that area is protected indefinitely? So it's kind of like a safe zone ship for space engineers. Once you build it, that area is protected unless something happens to it. Um, okay. You can get sparks to upgrade it, but you your buildings, your structures will remain intact. Um, I'm not I'm not even sure that you can't be attacked by NPCs yet. I think when it refers to safe zone, it's just referring to your buildings, your doors, everything in there won't be destro uh, destructible. Yeah, and that's really cool. And, you know, I was actually doing the research on this because in our podcast, we tried to make sure we both research the subject as much as we can. And one of the cool things about these uh, cities is that you actually can find and recruit NPCs to work with you, Jarl. Like the blacksmith. Yeah, and that is so cool because this is actually how you get more and more skilled uh, craftsmen and traders uh, inside of your uh, areas. And it actually is how you, like you all said, start making a city. Because you don't want to be boring and group them all up in just one small area. You want to be kind of cool and have like the blacksmith shop over there and there's the granary. I, I don't know if they have a granary, but I'm just saying. Oh, they stuff. do. They've got a granary and they've got a mill, a functioning mill. Nice. And I can imagine Great. if you're worried about being attacked a bunch, because a lot of people are probably going to build close to the shroud. But the closer you build to the shroud, there's more threats around. So having that spark to upgrade that flame altar to protect your mills and stuff like that, it's going to be critical, I believe. And speaking of which, let's talk about the shroud a little bit, because I know there are some games that have certain elements that are similar to the shroud. But when I was reading about the shroud, I was thinking about the gas zones in Daisy, a dangerous area where there's a lot of creatures in there that have been mutated by this thing that has a lot of loot. Um, and that's where you find the civilization that you were supposed to wake up to. They have been succumbed to the shroud, um, which kind of, stinks <laughs> so you really feel alone until you start recruiting those other npcs and doing the work for them um 
but I went ahead and linked a base building video in chat. You guys can definitely check that out. Uh, it goes into extreme detail on it. So if that's something you're interested in, that's probably the most in-depth base building video that uh, Dump and I have found on the subject. Um, what is your opinion on this mechanic of the shroud? Do you, I felt it was a little black and white because it's like, oh, here's the dangerous area. Everywhere is kind of dangerous, but that's a really dangerous area. What was your opinion on it? My opinion is kind of I'm intrigued because a lot of the videos they've released and some of the things I've read on their discord is that this area is kind of like Dungeon Delvin, if you can think of it like that. But they also kind of hinted to the people who are down here don't always stay down there. There is a possibility that they may come wandering out. And I and now I did have to say that uh, there is something that I. Uh, well, I need to think on it for a second, but let's go ahead and move on. <laughs> well, just so you guys know, the shroud is a decaying pestilence unleashed from the depths of the planet. Um, the, it moves around the landscape like a creeping light that absorbs the and mutates the life force of anything trapped inside. So it's not like demons as much as it's mutated creatures. And if you watch some of the combat videos, Dump is absolutely right. When you're in the shroud, it says in the shroud up at the top, and you have a bunch of effects that can hurt you while you're down there. However, there are still enshrouded creatures that set up settlements on the above world. They're just not nearly as powerful as the shrouded or enshrouded within the shroud itself, which I thought was a really cool mechanic. Because like you said, it would be interesting to run into them without having to delve in there. So they give you kind of that degree of difficulty. You need new gear and resources. You could destroy those camps. If you want to plunge into the dungeons, you can go get more. And I also saw another video where a guy walked up to what looked like a strange artifact that gave him a small mini quest. And it was like, perform this mini quest to clear this area of the shroud. So it sounds like you might be able to unlock or make sections of the map safer. Uh, but with that said, you're still going to run into Enshrouded even if you've cleared it. There's, they're still going to be patrolling. Now, one of the things that I just finished my thought is that I actually uh, heard them talking about that these monsters will eventually respawn. They're not permanently gone which is cool for replayability as well as long progressive playthroughs. Um, and I wonder how they're going to tie that into the longevity of your character, because if I wonder if you actually have to beat like maybe these bosses multiple times before you can move on to the next boss. Maybe there are some other things you have to do that actually require more resources and stuff. Uh, I don't know, just kind of an interesting prospect. Yeah, and with that thing I saw with the artifact that gave you that little mini quest to shut it down, I think it's that within the shroud they could just keep spawning, and they do end up filtering their way out. So if you can lock down these areas and shut down the shroud, I wonder if they're not in the shroud, if they don't respawn as much. Otherwise, you could just find a nearby mutated bandit camp and just farm them endlessly for basic supplies and... That would get kind of dull after a while. That would feel like Borderlands, where every time you pass the same area, the same creatures pop out in the same areas. I don't know, but it's it's looking good. I, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it definitely is. Now, here's where this game sets itself 
away from games like Valheim and games like Minecraft and starts tiptoeing into the realm of more like Dark Souls. This is a compelling action RPG that has a tremendous skill tree. Uh, basically, there are skills that spider out, much like in the Assassin's Creed games. You have your core bubble, and then you can go out and grab whatever you need. And on one third of it are warrior-based skills. On another third are mage-based skills. And on another third are ranger-based skills. So you can mix and match your abilities uh, to craft the character that you want. One of the ranger skills that I saw uh, benefiting the character, but I wasn't able to find an image of it, this game's also like Assassin's Creed. You can crouch in bushes and then like your character glows because you're hidden and you could pop out and attack an enemy and bring them down. Um, it's nice to see that kind of stealth play for players who want to do that. And I've been wondering, well, is the takedown a skill? Is that something you unlock or is that just something everybody has? Oh, that's an interesting Another interesting prospect. Well, I use that word a lot today. But um, it's cool because it actually attaches your care your yourself to the character. And I wonder if they're going to do it kind of like Dark Souls, where if you die, you lose all of your experience. And they may actually punish you even more going for that more hardcore experience, that kind of balance you're going for. And be able to, like, if you die, you lose it all. Like, you can't just die, run back, grab it, and then fight again. You actually have to really protect yourself. You and your allies, or just you alone, have to be prepared that if you go down there, you might lose all your experience. You might be able to get your gear back, or it might be like old-fashioned RuneScape, where you only got to get three items. How fun would that be? Um, <laughs> but it is cool, because skill progression matters in a RPG, and amazingly will matter in a survival RPG. People want to feel that progression. That's why most uh, survival-based games have a crafting system, and that crafting system is based upon unlocks or tech trees, as they call them. Because it right. feels good to advance and get better. And so this is really cool that the skill tree also allows you to do that in combat. Because most survival games don't really do that for combat very well. Right, because if you're a camp mom, you get the beauty of that tech tree, that that feeling of progress. But if you're a combat specialist and you do a lot of scouting, you really don't get anything from it. So it'd be it'd be nice to see that come to play. The other thing I'm really intrigued about, because you brought up like what happens if you die? I hope that's a difficulty because I know not everybody will like it. I hope you could turn like nightmare mode on where if you die, that's it. It's permadeath. But I am thinking the way that the games describe that it's going to be more like Valheim. Your stuff is dropped there, which means all the legendaries you've been working on, the, the enhancements that you have that make your character stronger, and even food and supplies are left with your body. It would be so fun to have to run back and be like, oh, I'm in the shroud and I can't fight anything. I think that would be punishment enough. But if there's a nightmare mode, I, I wouldn't mind checking that out. But the combat is actually quite simple. You could target an enemy. You can use your magic, your ranged, or eat. like I saw explosives. Rangers have an ability where they can get a grappling hook to get up on ledges and assassinate people, which is pretty cool. Or when I say assassinate, I mean do a lot of damage by sneaking up on them. But the combat is simple. You can block attacks with your shield and you can keep blocking the attacks with your shield. But every time you do, it takes stamina 
Once you're out of stamina, you open yourself up for what they call a massive attack or a critical hit. But the same kind of works against the enemies. You can also wear them down by hitting on their shield and getting their stamina down, opening them up. And if you're not a sword and board player, that's okay too. If you're a wizard and all you've got is a staff, you can parry an attack. Just like blocking, except parrying reduces the stamina of the attacker. And then once they get down low, if you've got somebody who's equipped to do really good assassin damage or stealth, anything like that, once you open them up, you can motion to your ranger and have them come in and do massive attack because they have no stamina. It's a simple system, but I think it's going to be so fun, especially when you have to memorize the pattern of enemies, how they attack, the abilities they have. That's why I keep comparing it to Dark Souls. So it feels like you have to do that with some of the enemies and bosses. Oh, definitely, definitely. But there's an important fact here. You're a wizard, y'all. I'm a wizard. Some of the wizard spells and wands are so cool, but some of the rarest wands you have to get from beneath the surface. But the coordination with your team in battle, knowing how to dodge, knowing how to weave, getting attacks in when you can, all while monitoring your overall stamina is incredibly important to make combat itself valuable to make the system fun now for those of you on youtube you can actually see um this character's fighting and enshrouded but he's he's just on the edge of the shroud lands so this is somewhere on the surface he's got a health bar and he's got a stamina bar and you can kind of see he's take staying back because he's blocking with his shield so he doesn't want to expend all of his stamina attacking but when you target an enemy just a little white triangle above the enemy you're targeting. Its health bar pops up. It's very easy to see, and you get to see their stamina. So you could tell how they're wearing, being worn down by your abilities, which I think is really cool. Um, If you had to pick a class, what would you pick with your battle style? I have always been a sword and board lover. Um. I do occasionally uh, like to dabble into the um, single sword, no shield kind of gameplay where it's more of a, not finesse, you're not dagger or dancing around, but just more of a, you're just so good with a single handed weapon, you don't need a shield, you're better than that. Uh, you know, and I, I, I just, I, I would go short sword and board if I was playing with the team. Because so I if I was playing with game. you, if I was playing with you and I was a ranger, you and I could devise a really cool strategy. I'll sneak in and do as much damage as I can. You stand up on the ledge above. And the moment they are alerted to my presence and they become hostile, you can hop in. Because <clears throat> what's really cool about this is there are multiple ways to get into a fight. You can actually carve your way. Because remember, the voxel harvesting is still a thing. It does make noise, but you and your team can work on creating a back route. Or, as the image has shown in many of the trailers you'll see on YouTube, you can make a wingsuit. And just while you're up on the ledge waiting for me, and you see them all aggro, you could come in with your wingsuit, land right in the middle of everybody, and just start being the tank that you were bred to be. Instead of having to worry about, you know, you being the tank, aggroing everybody, which puts magic casters and rangers kind of at a disadvantage. So it's, it's so cool how they're blending a lot of these systems together. Uh, also, the wingsuit looks ridiculous. <laughs> it, it, it definitely looks pretty uh, interesting. You look more like uh, 
You look more like a squirrel wingsuit than you do actually. Right? I kind of feel like you went and hunted an elk and I just tied one of its limbs to my wrists and to my ankles. So I'm like, trust me, I got this, guys. <laughs> uh, but it is fast definitely. and the frame rate is insane. Like I was watching them fly through canyons. I felt like I was watching Anthem with how fast they were moving. No, definitely, definitely. Um, and what's cool about this is I think you're right. Based off of what I've seen and what I've read is that classes obviously complement each other. But if you're playing solo, you're not going to be completely screwed like we've seen in some other survival games where if you didn't play this one meta class, you're not going to have fun. It looks like they're trying their hardest to make every class have a level playing field with its own special perks and slight advantages to make it easier to enjoy when playing in a group. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I wanted to play a ranger solo, I'd invest everything in stealth damage and I just go around the camp taking them out if that's the play style I want. If you're sword and board, you could literally make it to where you just walk in a camp, bash your shoe and be like, all right, everyone, come and get some. Being mobbed by several enemies. Oh, it's just it's such a good idea with the way that they're designing this. But can I throw my hammer at them? You better be able to and drop your shield. <laughs> But the legendary system, too, is really amazing. I've seen some of the weapons online, although it's just a quick blurb. You can't even really get a good screenshot of them. I saw a mace that doesn't do as much damage as the normal blue weapon he had, like the rare weapon. He found a legendary mace. He's like, oh, this doesn't do as much damage. Oh, wait, look what it does to their stamina. And it like the moment you hit them, it just fatigues them. And then you hit them again and you get crits. So it's like a crit mace. So you're just running around playing whack-a-mole with everybody in the camp. No, the legendary items are really cool. One of the things I uh, uh, li listened to them say in one of their videos was legendary items themselves can be upgraded with other resources over time, making them even more and more better. So, like, it's not like, oh, I found a legendary and then I found a better legendary version of it. It, it sounds more like a, when you find a legendary weapon, that is the legendary. There is no, like... One that looks exactly like it with the same exact model, but just a slightly different name with slightly better buffs. When you find that legendary mace that he just talked about, you can invest your time in upgrading it. And then that's where you get that more stuff that he talked about, where it really takes that stamina. I love that idea, too, because I think of Lord of the Rings when you have weapons like uh, Narsil and Sting, like named weapons that are passed on from generation to generation this game's going to simulate that if you're taking your sparks now this is where the combat comes into play i could use this spark to upgrade my weapon or i could give it to my base building team and they can actually build a better base so what do i do do i lie and just use it on my weapon and not tell them i <laughs> it'll be interesting uh, to see what happens to that oh man but my favorite thing is the variety of the bosses we saw earlier in one of the screenshots we put up there was a huge you know 15 foot tall skeleton giant with a giant mace but the vi villains come in different varieties there was a spore monster with like spider legs that looked like it was straight out of sons of the forest and i think the prize treasure of this game in the combat will be the bosses you encounter because each of them takes a different strategy to defeat and that is critical. Um, and that's what makes it feel more like Dark Souls battles than it does Valheim. Valheim bosses are cool and all, but 
there was one specific way you defeated them. It didn't feel that varied. And what, there's five bosses in Valheim, I think? Four I actually five? never got oh. past the first one. <laughs> well, we have know. an image here uh, of a really cool one that I like. Y'all lives in a tent, but carried a very large stick. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but oh, we've man. got an image here oh. that when it pops up, it's a giant dragon, which was pretty cool. Uh, basically, it just shows the team walking across this bridge, not in the shroud, mind you, going to this abandoned castle, which clearly has lots of loot, treasure, and resources, when all of a sudden, a giant dragon, well, Drake, because it doesn't have wings, hops down from the parapets of the castle and then has a standoff with the group. It was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> uh, which is oh. great. I can just you know, we're not the only ones like... covering this. Oh, it's so cool. It's oh. it's about, I'd say it's probably not as tall as the giant. It's a little bit shorter, but it's massive on the bridge. And the way that it maneuvers, it fights like a lizard. So it's not just, let's run and whack on it a little bit. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it has tail attacks, personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're not the only ones covering this game. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but I think one of our reporters actually got trapped in this world trying to cover the story for us. So let's go ahead and turn over to our reporter on the field. Are you there? I don't, I don't hear him dump. If uh, this here, is me, Earl, I'm going to be really disappointed. Oh, hey, Dave. Oh, we fired him. Oh. I mean, hi, Dave. Dave, how long have you, uh, oh, that's great. How long have you been in the Ember Vale? That's why you weren't here last week. <laughs> well, Dave, listen, when I said we were going to be doing a piece on Enshrouded, I didn't mean for you to just leave and go. Uh, anyway, uh, did you have any questions for a reporter on the field dump? Yeah. Dave, if you were going to go there, would you try to join the settlers to eat them, or would you go and become one of the uh, Shroud people? I think he means he's probably immune from becoming an Enshrouded. But I wouldn't be surprised if he'd be with them in their camp. What do the citizens taste like in Embervale? Could you give us a description? Wait, they're I, like flaming hot Cheetos? The flame like board flaming or flaming hot, hot Cheetos? That's amazing. Mmm, that's my favorite snack. Well, thank you so much, Dave. <laughs> uh, just so you guys know, we did ask the community, uh, what are you most excited about in Shrouded? Would you play it? And if so, is this a typical survival game that uh, interests you? And we actually got a few responses. On our Twitter, Wispabird responded, excited for this and Shrouded's base building looks great. Definitely going to play. I agree. That is one of the things that attracted me to the game right off the bat. It wasn't just the visuals. It wasn't just the combat. Because let's admit it, there are a lot of games like it. It was the base building. The fact that the actual structures look like medieval buildings and not like a bunch of blocks that have been conveniently stacked on each other, that for me was a huge win. Yeah. 
I totally agree. Oh, and then we've got one from Dimension 119. This one's a doozy, but I want to actually tap into this because he was very interested in it after watching the videos. I would absolutely play this. I was interested after the first video. My survival game experience is somewhat limited, to be honest. Minecraft is the survival game I spent the most time on. I've recently gotten into more survival games with the SOS crew. That's us, Dump. <laughs> Aww. Aww. <laughs> I'm really enjoying the multiplayer aspects of these games. As for this game, it looks like what I imagined Valheim to be. I've never played Valheim. I've only watched a few streamers play it, but it looks very similar in certain aspects. And when I think of it, I think of Valheim. I like the idea that it is a survival game, but also an RPG. I like that you can have characters that are good at different things or have different styles of combat. The only survival game that I know that have played with some of these qualities is Project Zomboid. It seems like we'll have a lot more freedom to build any level of character that you want. And I like when they seem to have done with the building system too. It sounds as though they have uh, have it where those that like to spend a lot of time building can build elaborate bases. They can have templates for those of us who can only build in square blocks. Thanks, Minecraft. And I love the fact that both things are an option. And it also sounds like most everything in the world is destructible, and I do like that idea. The one concern I have from watching those videos is the regeneration or refreshing of the world. I'm confused on how that'll work. If you dig a tunnel to your base, will it fill in? Or does it only happen to areas you haven't built? On the same line, the first video made it sound like things were causing the fog will come back after a certain time. If you're going to make a story in lore about needing to destroy these things, I don't think they should come back. The fact makes me very hesitant to care about the lore and story at all. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I will yeah, say that as far as the voxel destruction goes, I don't think they bring that back. That would be broken if you go through an iron and diamond mine and then 24 hours later it's filled in. I think when they were referring to resources, they were talking about plants and, and renewable resources. Yeah, but who knows? Maybe that safe area of the spark is actually the only place that doesn't get regenerated. Mechanics-wise, it would make, make some sense, but we'll have to see. I will have to say, folks, that mm -hmm. the person who just got their thing read from Yarl is Dimension 119, one of our featured and welcome uh, streamers. His stuff is down below, as well as later on, we'll be posting the link to our Twitter so you can read that nice person's response to our Twitter post as well. Absolutely. Overall, though, I'm super glad that Dump. Uh, took the time to let me have at this episode because once I saw Enshrouded come across my radar, I couldn't keep my eyes off of it. Enshrouded is a great action RPG from the looks of it, and it's going to be even better with the little background of survival that it has. And although I'm kind of with Dump, we're a little more uh, hardcore when it comes to our survival needs, I really hope that eventually hardcore will be an option. Because imagine going into the shroud where you have to drink water and you didn't bring any. That would be insane to, to the logistics of it. And that's stuff that's stuff I get excited for. Yeah, but, I totally agree. With that being said, I'm going to let Dump make a very important announcement for next week's episode. Well, folks, our first guest ever on the State of Survival is coming on next week. And wait for it, drum roll. Because I can do it myself. I like my own sound effects. Um, is the greedy peasant. If you folks don't know about the greedy peasant, I'll give you a quick rundown, okay? The greedy peasant is a Xbox streamer, content creator, server owner, promoter, 
pusher, podcaster, you name it, this guy is doing it. And it's because he cares and loves his Xbox console community. And he's all about bringing the people together. This next week, we're going to have him on the show to talk not only about all of that, but also maybe see about some of his personal um, desires and wants and why he started all this to begin with. Folks, don't miss it. It's our very first guest, and we want you guys to meet the person that we chose to be our first guest on the State of Survival podcast. Thank you guys all for coming. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for coming by and watching our show today. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We really appreciate it. Also, don't forget to check out Yarl of Goats on Twitch when he is live and Red Falcon and his amazing work in the DC community. Without these two, the show would not be the same. I hope you all have a wonderful day.